hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Storer. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 165. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, how are you doing? Marvelously well. Thank you very much. All things are standard and steady here. We're continuing to enjoy this strange heat wave that has the country half angry and half happy. It's a typical beginning of British summer. At least it's consistent. Consistently inconsistent, yes. That works. I was woken up by thunder at the weekend. Disgraceful. And Nick was telling me that we had snow on one of the uh, connector highways. So, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, living in the end times is great. <laughs> Mind you, strangely enough, I saw Morgan Knudsen put a post on. I think she, was she, uh, well, she's in Edmonton, isn't she? Um, yeah. And she was, she'd got a hat and a big coat on saying it was freezing. Really? I thought it's June. What's going on? Again, welcome to the end game. <laughs> Mind you, it snowed here once in June, I believe, I remember. Oh, okay. All right, well. Strange. And folks, I don't actually think this is the end of the world. We're going to figure shit out. This is just, we're going to look back on this and go, remember when things were really bad? (laughs) Classic. (laughs) Well, we sure fixed that, and we will, but it's going to be a pain in the ass first. Like when we were all so glib before 2020. Yo, let's let's not dwell on that. (laughs) In fact, I had my own experience with with late-stage capitalism and the decline of Western civilization. (laughs) Did you know? <laughs> I did indeed. So as you know, I like going to see movies. I spend a lot of my free time when I'm not working or hanging out with Nick in movie theaters when I can. And recently I wanted to see the film The Blackening, which is a, uh, a horror comedy set in a mountain cabin on Juneteenth. Mm. And it's apparently very, very good. Reviews have been great. So I wanted to check it out. It was only playing at one cinema here in Victoria over at Silver City, which is a pain in the ass for me now because I don't have a car. And it's about a half hour's journey on the bus. But I wanted to see it, so I built a whole night around it. You know, I, I went and had a nice, a nice uh, cup of coffee and a piece of cake at a cafe downtown. And then about 40 minutes before showtime, I hopped on the bus and did my thing. Got all settled in. First 20 minutes of the film, lived up to the hype. Very funny. Some pretty scary moments still. And then everything pauses. And the lights come up. And a theater employee walks in and says with this baleful look on his face, Folks, uh, we just heard from the landlord, they're going to shut off the power to the building. So we have to refund you and everyone has to leave. And they did. Every single movie, every single screening was evacuated. They refunded all our money. They gave us free passes for another film and we had to leave because the landlord told them, ah, well, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Apparently they hadn't. And they were just shutting power off to the building for some reason. So it was a bizarre evening. Again, 20 minutes of what was a very fun horror comedy, which is it's a hard thing to do. And I took a 30-minute fucking bus to get out there. And <laughs> now, again, because dystopia, get back on the bus, you poor son of a bitch. So that w- it, was a, it was a strange, strange experience. Uh, folks, if you get a chance to check out The Blackening, it's really, really funny. Again, some pretty tense moments, too. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I, I don't know if I'm going to take another 30-minute bus to see it again. I might just have to grab it on VOD when it comes out, but still worth your time. And uh, we are in the decline. So, you know, 
Smoke them while you got them. <laughs> we'll know for next time, and they'll make sure that their cinema will have solar panels now. There we go. See, that's it. It's all part of a cycle. This is just the shitty find out part of that cycle. It's the green wave. Exactly. Speaking of bright, shining futures, Paul, uh, just a reminder to everyone, we are going to be together at Paramete. Yes. In rugby in England mm. on September 2nd and 3rd. Paul will be presenting and we will have a table in the convention center area. So if you're in the area, if you're in the UK, hell, come on down, come say hi. We would love to see you. Uh, again, it'll be the first time Paul and I are in the same space. So you can watch him be deeply uncomfortable with how much in his personal space I am. <laughs> and you can hear me cheer his presentation from the back with a big foam finger. <laughs> well, you'll be pleased to know I've, I've started to uh, focus on my, my presentation. I have a subject and uh, we will see what happens. I have total faith. I am very, very excited for this. Uh, not only to meet you in person, but just to see your presentation. Because again, I enjoyed the article you wrote for Haunted Magazine. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing where your writing career takes you. Yeah, well, I'm just working on a new one for their next issue as well. Oh, very cool. Can we, can we get a sneak preview of what it's about? Uh, it's to do with haunted encounters beneath the surface. Ooh. Oh, that's a favorite topic of mine. I am very excited for that. Speaking of haunted encounters, this episode is a return to a subject we really like to talk about on this show, and that is shadow people. <laughs> this episode is all listener stories, all shadow people encounters, and uh, this is possibly my favorite paranormal topic, Paul, because it's the one I have the most personal experience with. Mm. And well, so, it's, it's 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 one I've yet to experience. Um, so I'm very I'm very glad that other people are are, uh, are experiencing this, so I can live through that rather than have one myself. I got to say, I mean, after having my own experience, I think living vicariously through someone else is the way to go. <laughs> Before we tell terrifying tales of shadow people, though, we of course have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, just as between the motion and the act falls the shadow, between us and being ass broke lies our patrons. <laughs> we could not do this without our patrons and our Apple Podcast subscribers. You guys are an integral part of making the Ghost Story Guys work. Everyone who downloads this show makes us who we are but patrons are the ones who truly allow the show to continue. You allow us to pay the bills. You allow us to, yeah, you allow us the time to make this thing. And so from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we would especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are. Autumn Mahoney. Jill Feldman. Bren wears a pink tutu. That's going to be fun on Ghost Horse. Mmm, pretty. St. <laughs> Jude of the Liminal Space. <laughs> Malevolent Matt. Eat that, Matt. <laughs> Susan Trail. Trent Cannon. Again, guys, thank you so, so, so much from the bottom of our hearts. And that thank you extends not only to our patrons, but again, to our Apple Podcast subscribers. You can sign up either at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or via Ghost Story Guys Premium on Apple Podcasts. And just a word on Apple Podcasts, uh, we had one person at least who seemed to think that because Apple Podcasts requires payment for bonus episodes, that all past episodes needed to be paid for. That is not true. The catalog episodes of this show from episode one to the present episode, you will never have to pay to listen to those. Those will always be available for free 
basically wherever the show streams. If they're ever not there, it's because of some kind of weird thing with the app not archiving old enough episodes, but we will never, ever paywall those past episodes. So if you're looking at Apple Podcasts and you're saying, well, geez, you know, I can't get at Host Adventures or something, that's because those are subscriber only. Or the ad-free versions of episodes, those are subscriber only. You pay a couple bucks, you get the shows ad-free. But all the classic episodes, all the episodes will always be available. You'll have to listen to ads, but other than that, they're always going to be there. So again, just in case there's anyone else out there who thinks, oh, these sons of bitches are now trying to charge me to listen to old episodes, that is absolutely not the case. That will never be the case. Just wanted to clear the air so there was no misunderstanding. I'd also like to uh, say I hope Tessa enjoyed me reading out that patron name. Malevolent Matt, I'm sure, because uh, Tessa sent me a, a very nice comment recently saying how she found it hilarious in a nice way. Again, if you'd like to support the show, you can join the team at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or signing up via Apple Podcasts. One last thing, shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry is a film journalist and composer from Central California. You can find his new project, Street Witch, on streaming platforms everywhere or at streetwitch.bandcamp.com, but the W is two Vs. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with terrifying tales of shadow people. In Bruges, from Zoe. The story takes place in my dad's house. The house isn't that old, but it always had this creepy feeling at night like someone was watching you. I was six when this happened. I had always been scared of the house at night, but this night was different. Something I should mention was that we had just renovated the first floor, second floor, in America. I was brushing my teeth before I went to bed. I used to always do little dances while I was brushing my teeth because otherwise I would find it too boring. While I was dancing around the bathroom, I saw a shadow cross the hallway. I stopped in my tracks and quickly shut the door. Scared to death, but wanting to be sure, I slowly opened the door and stood to the side so that I could only see out of it from the corner of my eye. My logic behind this was that whatever I had seen would think I couldn't see it and would pass through the hallway again. A few seconds passed, and sure enough, it happened again. Now, I was sure that it was real. Something black had crossed the hallway. My dad was in the military and had always told me to not let anyone fuck with me. Scare what scares you, he always said. So I took my toothbrush and ran to the hallway. But there was nothing. The hallway was completely empty. I then had to go to bed. Let's just say I didn't sleep well that night. Other things happened throughout the years. More moving shadows, doors that were closed would open, and strange noises. But what was really strange was that things only happened at night. During the day, everything was okay. But I always had nightmares about drowning in shadows when I slept at the house. My dad passed away a few years later. My parents were divorced, so I moved in full-time with my mom and didn't visit that house again for two years. A few months ago, I visited and slept there for one night. It started the same. 
During the day, everything was fine. But when the sun went down, the bad feelings started. I tried to ignore it. After all, I'm not a little kid and told myself I shouldn't be scared of the night anymore. But the bad feeling, the feeling that someone was watching me, stayed and became more intense. While going upstairs, I heard a door move in the same hallway where, as a child, I would see the shadow. I stopped in my tracks, but then decided to just ignore it, act like it didn't happen. I brushed my teeth and went to bed. I left the door to my room open because my dad's dogs like to change rooms at night. I still felt watched and it made the hairs on my arms rise, so I decided to watch some videos to take my mind off of it. That's when I saw something move in the corner of my eyes. I thought it may have been the shadow, so I tried it again, and there it was, a shadow crossing the hallway. I now was sure it wasn't my mind playing tricks on me, and I had the feeling that what I had seen as a child must also have been real. I woke up in the morning and everything was fine again. I haven't gone back since. It had always confused me why the house was like this, because it wasn't that old. It all finally clicked when you guys were talking about how the ground was most often haunted, not the house. I live in Bruges, a city in Belgium. It's a really old city with a lot of history. I think this may be the answer. And Zoe, I think you might be right. I mean, who's to say why these things are there, but I definitely think that uh, it's more to do with a place than specifically the structure on that place. It's one of those things that I'm I'm still surprised that we have this cliche of people saying, well, my house can't be haunted, it's only so many years old, but it's built on land, and land has been there since the tectonic plates settled down several millions of years ago. So uh, <laughs> who's to say what's been there before your property arrived? I 1,000% blame Paranormal TV for this, Paul. I really do. Every fucking show involves someone going to an, an old library and digging out a bunch of books and saying, well, we need to investigate the history of the property. And it just be, people just assume that's because they do it because it's a format, right? It's television. It has to be entertaining because they can't have a TV show where they go, oh, fucking no. I mean, that, that, this does not make for great viewing. <laughs> or perhaps you could discover the history of a haunting that you've sold books about and ignore all the evidence that contradicts everything you've been telling people for several years because it means that either you're lying or it's not what you claim it is. It's almost as if you could conjure a story out of thin air. <laughs> we'll never know. It's a mystery to me. Unless I try conjuring too. <laughs> and then you just make whatever you want up. And maybe you got a lake in the basement. Who knows? <laughs> Conjuring 4, Ghosts on the Moon. <laughs> now I will watch the shit out of that. <laughs> Ed and Lorraine do a spacewalk exorcism. Oh, we can leave him out there. <laughs> Ed and Lorraine Warren were gross, folks. Never forget that. The couple in the film are lovely. They are not what the real people were like. The power of Christ compels you. Yeah, compels you off my screen. Paranormal TV has so much to answer for. But, but going back to your story, Zoe... Um, again, really, really interesting shit. And I, I love that you went back and I mean, though it sounds like a frightening experience that you had the same experience again, cause it, it validates that, right? Cause so often we're, we're quick to write off childhood experiences and just say, ah, it didn't really happen. But obviously that did. And the fact it happened again, you know, it's like, okay, so there's, there's something replicable 
which is so often not the case with paranormal experiences. So I'd be um, very curious to know going forward if there is anything else. And if, if anyone else moves into the house, if they have similar experiences. Mm. As, as with certain countries in Europe that not many people seem to know much about their haunted histories or events that have gone on in those certain countries, Belgium is certainly one of them. Um, I mean, I know that Bruges is one of Europe's most ancient cities and has a, has a long history and which encompasses all kinds of events over the over the centuries. So um, it's it certainly classes itself as one of Europe's most haunted cities. So wouldn't surprise me. I didn't know that. I, I got to be totally honest here, Paul. Everything I know about Bruges comes from the Martin McDonough film in Bruges. <laughs> Belgium's a very nice place. I've heard that. I, I'd love to go. It's just one of those places I've n- not yet had the opportunity to visit. Mm-hmm. Wonderful beer. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. And they, they like to confuse you because they can speak three languages and they just want to keep you on your toes. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Depends, depends which part you're in. They're either going to speak French, Flemish or Dutch. And if they really want to show off, they'll speak all three. Dude, if I could speak three languages, I would show off too. So would I. And one last thing before we move on, I think this is a really great thing to read here just as a primer for going forward. Uh, our listener, Devin, sent us, uh, the, actually our patron, Devin, sent us this email and we, we played it on our Talk Spooky mini show. And if you're not downloading Talk Spooky, you are missing out. Talk Spooky comes out every other week from the main show. Uh, we're up to episode five, just came out. And uh, again, we're just reading listener email, talking about spooky things, talking about random shit, uh, playing music. It's a lot of fun. But Devin sent us this email and it's, I think, required reading for going forward because it, it just gives us an entirely different perspective on shadow people, something I'd never considered before. So before we go on to the next story, I'm just going to read Devin's email. Devin says, I don't know enough to offer my opinion on whether or not these sightings are interdimensional, but I do know what science tells us about our own eyes. One, our eyes function by picking up radiated light that's reflecting off the visible portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. The fact that so many of these things appear blacker than black indicates that they are drawing in the energy from the light around them. So in a sense, scientifically, if people are seeing these things, they aren't really seeing these things. They are seeing the absence of refracted light where those things are sucking it in. You know, like a black hole. That's terror part one. Terror part two says that our nervous system processes the information our eyes see in about 13 milliseconds. This could mean that these things are moving so fast that our eyes can't process the whole thing. So let that sit. As we go forward, folks, let that nightmare fuel sink right in. Slither from an anonymous contributor. As a kid, I was captivated by all things paranormal and was messing around with a lot of shit. Ouija boards and really any method I could use to talk to spirits. I had a few small encounters before this, but this one was the worst. It was night and I was in my bed trying to go to sleep. Before going to bed, I'd had a weird feeling, so I tried using a guided meditation. The feeling stayed. Eventually I went to sleep, but was awoken by what I thought was my dog. I felt him moving and thought nothing of it, but then realised I couldn't move. What I thought was my dog started sliding up the right side of my body. Then I felt 
him go underneath my back and physically saw my chest raise up and then go back down. I knew something was weird. Then it slid down the left side of my body. I have thought about that part over and over, and the only way I can describe it is like a snake doing a perimeter slither around my body. Then my arms and legs were grabbed, crossed and pinned as I saw this thing appear. It had long black hair, no face, and hands that looked dead. It had long black fingernails and was moving my legs as if taunting me. It was gone as soon as it came, and I was left with my hands still bound and legs in the air. I thought it may have been sleep paralysis, but only because you can't move. People told me a demon attacked me, but I always looked at it as a warning not to mess with things I was unprepared to deal with. So I stopped messing around after this. Not the most terrifying tale, but it was the most terrifying thing to happen to me personally in my life. I'd love to know if you or your listeners have any thoughts on what this was, if the meditation had anything to do with it, or what. So, thank you, Anonymous. It reminded me of an incident that happened to me as a child, where I was laid in bed, and it literally felt like something had just gone, phew, straight down me. Like something small had just run, but so fast. But it couldn't have been anything, you know, God knows how a mouse would have got there or anything like that. And it just went phew, straight down me. And that was it. And I just find things like that because I wasn't paralyzed or anything. Because when it happened, I was like, whoa. <laughs> right. Do raise off pillars in the air. Ah, <laughs> what's going on here? And it wasn't in the old house. It was in the house we moved to. So we didn't have much happen there. So it was a very odd, very odd thing. And so as, as points out, it's... It, it's very easy like to say, oh, well, it was sleep paralysis or it was it was uh, a demon or something like that. But it's just a very odd incident because it seems more to be just sort of mucking around and then buggers off. Like so many sleep paralysis encounters, I feel like it, the intent is to cause fear. And I, I always hesitate to use easy explanations, or I, I try to, you know, because sometimes it's tempting. But, you know, it does <laughs> seem like you wonder if there's an element of of vamp i say vampirism you know what i mean not actual like fangs blah vampire but just this this feeding of some kind of emotional product that's caused that's produced during fear Mm. if they're trying to scare you because i for example one of my problems i have with the idea of sleep paralysis like obviously some sleep paralysis is just physiological it's just a misfiring of the brain but I refuse to believe that all sleep paralysis is physiological because I, I think, I mean, obviously there has to be a physiological component. Your body is how you interact with the world. But what I mean is why is there this common experience of something like a hag or a woman? Why is it seen that way? What a bizarre cultural thing for all of us to conjure. You're just, brand, I'm just going to, oh yeah, a woman riding my chest. Like that's not a bad night as far as I'm concerned. Things are going well. If that is what is going down. So I don't know why that would, <laughs> I'll give you a second to, to process that. It's okay. I'm, I'm okay. Okay. But yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good time. The, the night is, things have gone well. But so the idea that suddenly this is a thing of fear, I feel like mm, I'm, I'm thinking again, there is something external happening here. Uh, what, I, what it is, I don't know. But I, I again, I, I do push back. I was having this conversation with someone and they said, well, sleep paralysis is just, it's explained. And, and I'm like, oh, like a lot of paranormal shit, people have this idea that, oh no, it's science has explained this. No, not in its entirety. What if 
sleep paralysis is actually a defense mechanism to protect you from the entity because it reacts to movement and your body knows that and that's why it freezes you so you can't move. Oh, that's a terrifying thought. Just something I'd just throw in there. Like you're being ridden by a T-Rex in a wig? Maybe. maybe. Again, that sounds like a pretty good Friday. (laughs) (laughs) The hell, bring it on. Hard worst weekend. That's it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is like you say, this cultural explanation that people all see the hag or why do, when everybody says they see the hat man and skeptics explain it away and say, oh, well, it's just psychological. It's just what, why does everybody's brains around the world create a fedora wearing man when fedoras fell out of fashion 70 years ago? That's it. And let's face it. Most of the people wearing fedoras now, they're going to have a very spherical shadow. I say this as someone who used to wear one. Like you're not, it's no, there is not a lot of long lean fedora wears left in this world. Yeah. That's why I wear a Panama. Ah, see, I've been thinking about the Panama. I, I had to get rid of my, I had a, it wasn't a fedora actually, it was a pork pie hat, but I had to get rid of it because I took it into a hat shop to be cleaned in Montreal. And this elderly Frenchman looked at me and said, we cannot fix this. <laughs> it is only the dirt holding it together. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> He's like, how much did you pay? And I'm like, ah, you know, I think we paid about 150 bucks. It's going to cost at least that much to clean it. It's uh, like, this has to be thrown. He's looking at the hat band. He's like, this must be thrown away. And he wasn't even trying to sell me another hat because I already bought another hat from him. He's like, this is, I can try, but I can promise nothing. I'm like, no, nah, it's. Let's just burn it now. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of seemed to be his take on it. I, I expected him to try and sell me on the cleaning. He's like, I will sell you the match for a dollar. <laughs> you, br- you bring your own kerosene. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's BYOK. <laughs> Fuel is, is expensive these days, Paul. And one thing that Anonymous was asking, Paul, they want to know if we thought that whether or not the meditation had anything to do with it. And now, of course, Anonymous, it's always hard to say with these things. We like to say there are no experts. Um, because we're talking about things which are, I, I actually think are fundamentally unknowable. And I, I mean, I'm sure we would have a much more popular show if we just said, yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, it's the devil, but that's bullshit. And so we're not going to say that. <laughs> is that because it's a demon? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a demonic presence, which is also very real. Oh, thank God for that. So it's hard to say for sure. But the fact that you were feeling strange before that, I suspect meant that whatever was going on was going to happen anyways. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not of the opinion because I, again, I know there are some people who believe that meditation or yoga will open you up to influence, but I, I think that's Judeo-Christian bullshit. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. I, I just think it's that, it's that whole thing. If, if you can, ach- if you can yourself commune with a higher power, a higher, which I believe is a thing. I, I don't believe in capital G God. Uh, as defined in the Bible, but I do think there is some kind of greater universal force out there. If you can commune with that yourself, then you don't need them. So that's why they get all butthurt about, oh no, you can't, you can't meditate. You can't do this. It's because then you don't need the fucking middleman. So I, I don't, I don't think that is a concern, but again, I'd be curious to know if our listeners have, have any thoughts. Mm. I mean, I've, I've heard that spurious nonsense about such things leaving you open to inviting unwanted guests in. And I just find it, it's ridiculous because people had ghostly encounters before yoga crossed over into the Western world. So I think, you know, 
it's always the people that know very little but want to talk a lot about things they have no concept of. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And then you have a TV show. <laughs> they follow. From Dave. Living at my mom's as a kid, I'd be playing on the computer in our spare room and see a small circular point of light from the inside of a dark bathroom. It would only be out of the corner of my eye, and when I looked fully at it, it went away. I found it odd, but never thought anything of it. My mom and her husband at the time decided to renovate the basement to have a bedroom down there for me. It was the biggest bedroom in the house, so I was stoked. At first it was okay, but at night I became more and more nervous about the laundry room as I had to cross the archway to get to my bedroom. In retrospect, I find the more I was nervous slash afraid of that laundry room, the worse it got. I started feeling like something was definitely there. In the odd time I'd catch, from the corner of my eye, a silhouette which appeared to be slender and feminine, standing at the back of the laundry room. I began seeing it more and more frequently when turning the light off at the top of the stairs to make my way to the bedroom. After a while, I began bolting down the stairs and racing across the basement to shut the bedroom door. I started to feel as though I was being chased to my bedroom at night by something and would still catch that silhouette of a shadow in the laundry room. This pretty much became a nearly nightly norm, but once entering my bedroom, I'd calm down and it wouldn't be so bad. While the encounters in the basement were happening, I started seeing shadow people more frequently while out walking my dogs, peering from windows or parked cars. Eventually, I was kicked out of my mom's house due to completely unrelated things, and I began living between my then-girlfriend's house and my father's house, which was my main base, so to speak. Through a terrible relationship, I was falling deeper and deeper into depression, starting to go on long walks in the middle of the night, between 12 and 4 a.m., in an attempt to clear my head. Even though I was in an entirely different town, I was still seeing the odd shadow person. My father and his girlfriend grew increasingly worried for me when I told them I was going to the bridge overlooking the highway with some not-so-great intentions, but could never pull through on them. Fearing I may hurt myself, my dad's girlfriend got me in touch with a psychiatrist in the hospital who I saw once or twice. I told the psych about my seeing silhouettes and feelings of uneasiness in my mother's house. At the time, I referred to seeing shadow people as me, quote, having hallucinations of people. I told him I mostly see them out of the corner of my eye, but feel as though I'm being watched. He noticed my cut-up knuckles from me taking out frustrations of the relationship on the brick wall of my father's house. He told me that he didn't think I was suffering from hallucinations, and that perhaps I was seeing people who haven't fully passed on, and with some guidance I'd potentially be able to help a lot of people with this gift, as he called it. He prescribed me medication and said, if you're overwhelmed by seeing too much, or you feel the need to hit things out of frustration, take one of these. It'll help calm you down. I asked what the medication was for, and he said, this is normally for schizophrenics, sort of like a mood stabilizer, but I'm not diagnosing you as a schizophrenic, nor is suffering from psychosis. At first, I thought he was a quack, and didn't want to subscribe to the idea that I could see dead people like the kid from The Sixth Sense, so I continued to refer to my sightings as nothing more than paranoid hallucinations. My dad got me a job working in a steel shop. I'd go back to my mom's every other weekend, kind of keeping the same routine as when I was a kid, living between two houses. And being back at my mom's, the basement still felt oddly cold and weird, even during the day. Sure enough, at night, the same scenario played out. 
sprint down the stairs as if being chased by something, and catch a silhouette in the corner of the laundry room parallel to my bedroom. I decided I'd had enough and contacted my friend Aaliyah, who was a practicing Wiccan, and she said she may be able to help get rid of a presence in the house should there be one. I brought her to my mom's and asked her if she wanted to take a look around. She paced the main floor and then stopped at the basement door. She said, it's down here, isn't it? Flabbergasted, I nodded. Allie grabbed a bundle of something from her backpack and asked if she'd be able to smudge the house for me. I shrugged and said, sure, is this supposed to cleanse the house? She gave a half nod and said it should. She smudged the main floor and upstairs, but said the presence in the basement, a mother and son, absolutely refused to leave and she would have to perform a ritual in order to bind the spirits and remove them from the house. She pulled out a silver dish from her backpack, plopped down four candles and a container of herbs. She asked if I had any kind of small, clear, but slightly opaque object that I wouldn't mind having to get rid of. So I dug out a marble and said, will this work? She said it would, and we sat down opposite one another in front of this tray. She said that we'd need to close all the windows in the house in order to keep them from getting out. She lit the candles and said what I assumed was a prayer, asking for the powers of the north, south, east, and west to keep us safe. She began going through the basement, telling the son and his mother that they needed to leave, that this is no longer their home. Her voice grew louder and louder, pleading that they leave the home. She was going in and out of the laundry room, then ran up the stairs. I could still hear her shouting. She came running back downstairs and stared at me. I could feel an immense pressure in the basement. It became harder for me to breathe, as if the pressure was tightening around my neck. She sat down and was staring at me, but talking to the sun, saying, No, let him go. You must leave. She put her hands around my face and slowly pulled them in towards the tray. And as her hands went closer to that marble in the center of the tray, I felt that pressure slowly lifting. When the pressure was all gone, she looked back up at me and said, There, they're bound. Before I trapped them in the marble, he had his hands around your neck and wanted to bring you with him. I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what the fuck just happened, but I let a witch conduct a ritual in my mother's home. She told me we need to wrap the marble in a metal, but tinfoil would do. There couldn't be any openings around the object, so we layered it a few times, ensuring there were none. All right, she said. That takes care of those two. Now let's get them out of here. So we went out of the house to a field not too far away from home. I buried the now entrapped marble in the dirt, which has now become a new housing division. The house still stunk of sage, but going into the basement, my feelings of uneasiness were entirely gone. It didn't feel cold like it usually did either. I said, I think we did it. She gave me a hug and said, thank you for not being weird about that. It's something my mom taught me. She's kind of a superhero when it comes to this kind of stuff. When I was back at my dad's, my mom called and asked, What did you guys do? I said, My friend had to do a ritual kind of thing to get whatever was in the house out, and I hope it did the trick. She said, You know, David, I never liked being in the basement. It just felt off. But whatever you did, I'm not feeling it anymore. Even to this day, a decade later, she said she loves the basement. She even moved a karaoke machine and TVs down there. I didn't believe in ghosts and paranormal phenomena up to that point. Not only was I validated by finding out that my years of torment in that basement were not a figment of my imagination, but I actually helped get rid of some spooky shit. 
I don't have as many sightings as I did when I was very depressed, as I had to develop a heavy sense of apathy distress in order to cope with my mental illness. But still occasionally I will catch a glimpse of shadows while walking at night. I've heard you guys mention feelings of despair, perhaps provoking entities as a magnet to a person, and wondered to myself that it may have been where I drew my ability to sense those things. So Dave, first thing, man, I just want to say I'm so glad you're still here. And I'm so glad that you were not able to act on those feelings. And uh, to anyone else going through this, and I know Paul will back me up, if you're in a relationship that makes you want to punch a wall, that's not normal. That's, that's not a relationship you should be part of. There's no, there's no upside to that. You may say, well, when it's good, it's good. It's never good enough to make it worth that. It's just not. There are relationships which can be good and don't have the wall punching stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's an interesting message, I think, all, all of it, because it's sort of intertwined with depression and struggle and believing that you might be going a bit mad and are you hallucinating? Are you seeing things? And then you start to think, well, they're not, they can't be that. So I must be seeing things. So there must be something seriously wrong with me. All the while trying to keep the black dog of depression at bay. Um, so it, it just sounded like it was a, a toxic mix that made him prime for visitations. And I love this friend who comes to the rescue riding in with her, with her sage and uh, magic potions to the rescue. Thank goodness for the Wiccans, dealing with it in a proper and very respectful manner as well, it would seem, without sort of, yes, it sounds a bit exciting and a bit sort of full on, but it's also nice it not being a very cliched version of it. And, you know, referring to trapping spirits in, in clear marble is a very old school message. So uh, her mother obviously knew the old ways rather than the modern ways. Yeah, there was, um, I feel like there was something on here once you and I were talking about, uh, and it was someone who was, it wasn't, it wasn't a listener. It was a story we found online, but there was a mention of someone being a Wiccan, but they just seemed like they were talking absolute shit. And, uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's nice to read about someone who, as you say, is respectful and, and seems to know what they're doing and to, cause I think it's dangerous, right? I mean, aside from fucking around with the paranormal, I think when you say you can help someone, but it's all kind of shit you learn from TikTok it's not helpful. You know, you're not, you're not actually helping that person. You're, you're A, not helping them, and B, you're invalidating their view of this very ancient practice. Yes, absolutely. Here's, here's what I've learned about possession from goop. Oh, go, yeah. You need to place this special egg. <laughs> no, that was the last conversation we had, Paul. Oh, right, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, so anyway, <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm thankful that they've got through it and dealt with it, and he had such a damn fine friend that was able to come in and, and cleanse some spiritual butt without overly dra dramatizing it and still deal with it in a respectful manner. But obviously the, the fact that his mum found a new love for the basement that she was quite prepared to get drunk and sing down there shows that it was clearly a very good cleansing. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it reminded me the, the room I'm recording in now, this used to be our spare room and we would, you know, we very rarely had guests. So we didn't use it very often. You know, I used to record uh, before well, we used to have the office. And then when we, when we lost the office, we recorded in another space for a while. And then when that just became untenable, we would record on my dining room table in the, in the, in the uh, living room. So this room would be empty for a long time. And I remember there would reach points where it felt like there was no room in here, mm. even though there was never anyone on the bed, you know, because never, no one ever slept on the bed. Yeah, and 
Well, yeah, exactly. And the rest of the room, there wasn't a ton of stuff, but there, I just, there was a point where it didn't even occur to me, but it felt like there was no room to move in here. And then a friend of mine would come in and cleanse the place periodically. And she knew the old ways. And I remember the first time she did it, I was shocked by how much room there was here mm. after that, because it felt like, like, you know, when you got a room and there's a bunch of shit on the floor and you can't really move around it very well, you're kind of stuck in one or two places because there's just a bunch of crap in your way. Yes. That's what happens when I try to sort my books out. Oh yeah. That's, that's kind of what my office is like right now. I still have my suitcase from Quebec on the floor. Uh, mm. I'll figure it out eventually. But yeah, it was like that. It was after, but after she cleansed it, I realized there wasn't a bunch of crap. It was just, well, I mean, visible crap. It was just, mm. there was something occupying the space and it really made a, a substantial difference. Mm. One last thing that I wanted to talk about was how lucky Dave was to find a mental health professional who didn't whack him up oh. on a bunch of tranquilizers. What a, what a brilliant physician. Amazing. Yeah. Open-minded, honest, and supportive and uh, all power to them. Yeah, that's that's a rare thing because again, I think the bulk standard expectation would just be, well, this person's hallucinating, put them on as many drugs as possible and maybe even potentially uh, restrict their freedom. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very open-minded and positive prescription, I suggest. And also the fact that they, you know, I explained to them that they didn't think they were seeing things or they were schizophrenic, but obviously clearly having something that was causing them a lot of trauma for whatever reason, but they were prepared to not dismiss Dave's experiences as figments of his imagination. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important to remember when you're talking to people who are having these experiences. If you're a skeptic, I know we have lots of skeptics in the audience, which I love that you guys listen, but I think it's important when someone comes to you with this, this is the appropriate way to, to deal with it. Okay. I acknowledge that you're seeing this thing. I may not understand what it is, but I acknowledge that you're having this experience and I don't think you're crazy. I don't think you're mentally ill. I don't have a frame of reference for this, but I will listen to you and support you in that. And I think that's, that's huge. My uncle's house from Ray Lynn. When I was a teen, about 16, my mother moved to the state of Ohio in the USA. Her family helped with the transition of moving and she stayed with my uncle the year after the move. My uncle had many stories about his house. I thought he was a little crazy. He stated he had a ghost. It was just a known thing about his house. I, being sceptical, rolled my eyes a lot. His house was a square of hallways. There was a front living room, a back living room, a kitchen, the bedrooms, and the bathroom coming off these hallways. The front of the house was my uncle's room, hallway, and front living room. This is where most of the ghost stuff took place, in both his stories and mine. He has many stories of the ghost messing with his bedding or pillows to do things like wake him up from oversleeping, generally being pretty helpful, sometimes preventing him from going to bed. A stern word typically sets him straight, insert teenage eye-rolling. His stories included the bedding being held down with such force when it was over he bounced a bit, or his pillow being pushed up to wake him up, or his bedding being pulled on to the point he was about to fall out of bed. Early on, when living in the house, there were some instances I just ignored. There were times a door would slam repeatedly and with force for hours. The closets didn't have doors, and there was a spot in the hall you could stand and verify the doors were shut and not moving. I would go through and make sure everything was latched and shut. 
standing in each room through a slam to make sure it wasn't the wind moving the door. After verifying it wasn't the wind, I would give up and ignore it. It would always stop after an hour or two. This was a daily or weekly occurrence. It happened at different times with no real pattern. There was also a shadow. If you were around the front hallway, out of the corner of your eye, there was a shadow. It was like someone was walking away or towards you in the hallway out of the corner of your eye. If you turned and looked, no one was ever there. If you were in the hallway, the shadow would be going away from you, like it was walking towards the front door. If you were in the front living room, the shadow would be walking towards you, never moving past the front door. The front hallway was the only area this shadow was ever seen, always moving the one direction, and the hall was about ten foot long. There were two instances I can remember of having my experience validated. One time my mother, brother, sister and I were returning home late in the evening. It was Christmas time. The tree was up in the living room in the window, and we pulled into the driveway. There was a shadow standing next to the tree. I assumed it was my uncle waiting up for us because of the snowy weather. Getting out of the car, I asked my mother if our uncle was up. She said no, he wasn't even home. I went on to ignore the shadow which had now gone. My brother getting out of the car says cool, our uncle was up and he couldn't wait to see him. I told him our uncle wasn't home. But my brother said then he'd seen him by the tree. Being the ass I was... I said, I don't know what you've seen, but Mum said Uncle wasn't home. Feeling relieved I wasn't the only one who saw a shadow that just disappeared. Then we all went inside and didn't talk about it. On a separate occasion, I had a friend spend the night. We were sitting in the front living room watching TV for most of the night. The couch in the front living room was by the front hall. I saw the familiar shadow once or twice that night coming down the hall, and I didn't say anything to my friend. At about 2am, my friend started shifting uncomfortably and kept eyeing the hallway. I asked her what was up, and she didn't want to say. Then I told her the shadow was harmless as far as I knew, and she looked visibly relieved. She said she didn't want to sound crazy, but kept seeing the shadow out of the corner of her eye, and it was freaking her out. I told her it happened a lot and she wasn't crazy, and then we went back to watching TV. Even after having a few experiences validated in the house, I was still sceptical about anyone else's experience. I think in some past episodes, there have been similar stories to this. I mean, this sounds similar to some of the stuff we've talked about where it, it almost seems like you're seeing echoes of something. Mm. Yeah, or it's tethered. Yeah, things are kind of happening in multiple times. You know, you're seeing something like, again, like a past thing happening or like an echo of a past thing happening. Mm. Yes. But it's, it's good to know it's helpful regardless. That's true. That's, I mean, that's, that's a rare thing with shadow creatures. And, and I mean, usually we're talking about the bone chilling terror these things cause, or, you know, Devin's horrifying us with this thought about how they're sucking in light. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, this is fairly benign. I could, I could do with a helpful ghost getting this, keeping this place dusted is a nightmare. Well, they don't need to reach, do they? You can just spirit themselves up there, quick swish about, then off they go again. And I remember there was a brief period where we could afford someone to like dust and kind of come in every two weeks. I miss those halcyon days. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a class warrior on that regard. I, ref I refuse to uh, let anybody else clean my house. 
Oh, uh, that's fair. That's, I know a lot of folks like that. I, I have friends who do it for a living. So I, it was kind of like a, well, you know, you mm. need the work. All right. Yeah. Fuck it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, that was certainly not something we ever did growing up. And it was, I think we only did it for about two or three months because yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not cheap. And uh, in the end, you can clean your own fucking house. Yeah. And sometimes it's good to, you know, rub your brother's face in dust and stuff, you know? And if you were a cleaner, <laughs> you miss those experiences. <laughs> I'm sure my sister would agree. I don't have a brother to inflict <laughs> that upon, so that's that's fair. But yes, I think I think all of us would love to have a ghost alarm clock as well that that looks out for us and makes sure that uh, you know if there's been a power cut or something, it just plumps up your pillars and says, come on, come on, lazy bones, out you get. You'll have plenty of plenty of time to sleep when you join me on the other side. Come on, get up. <laughs> there's a thought. The Hat Man. From Molly Ann. I've been fascinated with the paranormal since childhood. I even wanted to be a parapsychologist when I was 10, and I still love hearing people's experiences. I've never knowingly encountered anything, and I once had a psychic tell me that I tend to fill spaces with my energy, possibly keeping other things away. However, listening to your show has made me wonder if I have actually had repeated run ins with a shadow person. Around the time I turned 30, I broke up with my longtime partner in Austin. It was amicable, and I ended up living by myself in a nearby cottage. No boyfriends or housemates. I hadn't had my own space in years, and it was honestly a relief to live alone for a while. The house was small and recently built as a backyard rental unit on a large residential property. I was in and out at odd hours being a graduate student with a teaching job. During this period, I began dating a lot and enjoying the Austin nightlife. It was sad to end a long relationship, but I was also happy to move on. Since childhood, I have been afraid of the dark. I usually kept a dim light on in another part of the house, with my bedroom door open to admit some illumination. Despite this, I began seeing the same thing many nights as I was falling asleep. A silhouette of a tall man in a fedora and a trench coat. There was no detail to him. He was just a shadowy figure. It was his consistency that really bothered me. I'm prone to hypnagogic hallucinations, but they vary. Spiders one night, floating pillows another. It's rare that I hallucinate human forms, but this particular guy kept showing up, always in the same place, slightly inside my bedroom doorway. I've never experienced sleep paralysis, thank God, so I would flick on my bedside light when I saw him, and sometimes even jump out of bed and lunge at him. I'm generally a coward in real life, but quite fierce when I'm half asleep. Occasionally, I would even put my hand through the black silhouette as I reached for the main light switch, but I never felt anything physical, and as soon as the light came on, he was gone. He showed up persistently enough that I dreaded going to bed, and eventually just kept my overhead light on at all times, which was hell on my sleep, I imagine so. I moved out after a year, and although I've had many hypnagogic hallucinations since then, he never came back. Weirdly, I never connected him with shadow people or hat men until later, although that's literally what he was. Never got a particularly threatening vibe from him. I just hated his persistence. In retrospect, I'm amazed I didn't try to get out of the lease sooner. And Molianne, thank you so much. And it, I mean, one, finding a house you can afford to live in in Austin, I mean, Jesus, I wouldn't try to get out of my lease either. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. I mean, we were just talking about this, Paul, about how, you know, if we we're going to hallucinate things, there are things... You know, which is a thing that happens, it's usually random shit. And yeah. this has been her experience. You know, again, floating pillows, spiders. I've definitely had hypnagogic hallucinations of spiders, which I hate. 
But, you know, the, the man was something she saw when she was awake. He would still be there when she got out of bed. And again, I feel like a, a lazy skeptic would go, well, that's just, you know, that's just a hallucination yet again, but obviously not the case. I mean, here's the thing. Somebody lives in Texas, right? And it's, you know, and, and one of the skeptical explanations is it's just your brain refocusing images in your mind or whatever. Are you telling me that somebody who lives in Texas is not going to see somebody wearing a Stetson? Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that. Why, why? Once again, here you have someone in a state where people wear hats a lot, probably more than any other state in the US, and they're still turning up wearing a fedora, not a Stetson. Why? I mean, maybe in some hipster bars in Austin, <laughs> I can maybe see a guy wearing a wearing a uh, fedora. Yes, well, Austin likes to promote itself as the uh, the hipster city of Texas, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they've they've also got like a keep Austin weird, like Portland has keep Portland weird. I'm pretty sure Austin has a keep Austin weird. Although, quite frankly, I don't think there's anywhere weirder in Texas than like Ozona. So, eh, I don't know. I mean, you're weird in cute ways, Austin, but there's parts of Texas that just they're weird in entirely other ways. San Antonio wants a word. <laughs> yeah, love to go there. I have no doubt that you will, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in a cowboy hat. <laughs> Yeah, well, as as we were saying on last week's talk, spooky to me and and the live show, I've I've not been to to Texas since uh, since I uh, time travelled to Dealey Plaza that day. <laughs> I knew it was you. Ironically, strangely, I ended up watching a program on over here talking about JFK again. Oh, really? Once again, I was sucked in for an hour, <laughs> hearing all the theories I've already heard several times. Of course. <laughs> Well, if you want to hear me and Paul talk about the Kennedy assassination, check out the most recent episode of Talk Spooky to Me. Episode, uh, I think it's called, that one's called Bob Ross Sex Machine. And he is. 1,000%. Montreal from Charlotte. In July of 2009, I moved from Vancouver to Montreal to live with my partner, Jay. He had been living there for about a month before I got there and had gotten an apartment in one of those picturesque buildings you see on Montreal postcards with a curved staircase from the ground floor to a second-level landing where there were two doors. One door led to one of two apartments one more level up, and we were in the one-bedroom suite up there. The building itself was over a hundred years old, but completely updated. We also had a nice large deck on the back of the place. One hot night in August, we were sitting indoors watching TV. We didn't have aircon unit in the living area, so the glass door to the patio was open to let in the evening air and the patio lights were on, so we had some indirect background lighting. We had an eye-shaped sectional. I was sitting on the section against the wall, and Jay was to my right, which directly faced the TV. I had to turn left to watch TV, and right to speak to him. At one point, I turned right to say something to him, and this also had me facing towards the patio. And there I saw a large, pitch-black form between myself and the glass door. The patio lights behind it outlined the shape very clearly. It was solid black, not transparent. I still find it hard to describe, as I'd never seen anything like it before or since. It was quite tall, maybe seven feet. We had high ceilings here, and very thick. Sort of like the Michelin Man, but solid black. It seemed to be layered or quilted, like being wrapped like a mummy. It was completely still, and I could tell that it was looking at me even though I could not see any eyes. I must have stopped talking because Jay said, What do you see? And turned to look behind him. 
I took my eyes off the shape for a second to look at Jay, and when I looked back it had gone. Jay repeated his question, and I told him the best I could. He said that he'd also seen some crazy things there as well, but hadn't said anything about it because I would probably think he was crazy. I'd also felt some strange vibes up till then, but had nothing to base those feelings on, so I hadn't said anything to Jay. After that, we started to have other strange experiences in this place. On the 21st of September, I got home a few minutes before Jay, and as I was unlocking the door, there was a crash. So I tentatively entered the suite. I had to send a quick email, and it wasn't until I was sitting at the computer that I realised what I had heard was a picture falling off the wall behind the computer. Then, just as Jay was walking through the door, the TV turned on by itself, the volume at full blast. The walls in the apartment were thin, so we never had it on loud. There was also something on the brick wall that we don't know what it was. Unfortunately, I can't find the photo I took of it, but it was similar to the handle you see on a submarine door, and I'm not sure of the nautical term, a sort of abbreviated S-shape. It was originally vertical on the wall, but Jay turned it till it was horizontal so he could prop a picture on it. When we had a chance to ask our neighbour about it, she called it a l'esprit, and its purpose was to keep spirits in the walls of old buildings. When I started looking at more of the old buildings throughout Montreal, I could see many of these. I used to belong to a website where I asked about these, and one of the members sent me an attachment with a lot of info about them. Unfortunately, the site is now defunct, and I've lost that info. At the end of the September, we moved out of that apartment, and neither of us ever saw this form again. I should also say at the time, I'd never heard of the term shadow person, and I am now better versed in many more different types of paranormal activity. I've also seen a categorization of shadow people, but none match this one that I witnessed. After I saw it for the first time, I called it our resident ghost. Once we moved and started having other weird experiences, we called it RG, and finally it just became Reggie. We didn't know if Reggie was the shadow person I saw, but as the strange things really started after I saw him for the first time, it's just how we referred to him. We moved into a much newer apartment building after that. Jay had hung some hooks on the hallway wall for scarves, jackets and such. Often when one or the other of us would reach for something, an item would literally jump off the hook into our hands, a good five or more inches away. And as time went on, things would disappear. Jay especially would lay down the stuff from his pockets as he would come home on the dining room table. In the morning, when he would go to retrieve something, such as his keys, they'd be gone. But we had each only seen them minutes before. Jay had a short temper, and he'd freak out about these missing items. When he'd storm out the room, I would just quietly ask Reggie, or whoever, to please put the keys or whatever back from where he found them. I would step away to do something, and then one or the other of us came back to the table. There the keys would be. So that was one of two stories we're going to have from Charlotte to round out the night. And I'm really fascinated by the look of the shadow person, Paul. Mm. It's, it's so unusual. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. I mean, we've heard of large shadows, but the way it's wrapped, I, that's, that's a new one on me. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, as soon as you, someone says the term Michelin man, you can picture it straight away in your, oh, well, I suppose it depends on a certain age you are. You can picture it in your head. So it's basically like the, uh, the negative Michelin man, isn't it? Cause it's an all black one rather than the, uh, all white one that we're, we're all familiar with. Yeah. And I, I wish I had kind of caught this when I was still in Montreal because I'd be, I would be curious to try and explore 
some of those buildings to see if they, you know, had the, the feature she's talking about and sort of talk to folks about what that meant. If you hear some noises, it's not ghosts. It is Chewy. She is, she has joined <laughs> me in the room and I've just given up trying to, uh, trying to keep the sound completely pure. It's okay. We're humans. We have things going on in our house. There's no sense, uh, no sense pretending otherwise. Yeah. Theo might snore. He's fast asleep. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, sometimes Chewy snores. So <laughs> actually it's one of the funny things is, uh, since I have been back from Montreal and I've lost you know, a fair amount of weight, I don't snore as much anymore. Yeah. I, 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 unless I'm like really kind of clogged up or something, I don't snore. And of course this was very surprising for Nick because I've always been a snorer. And, uh, one, when I got back, we took a nap together and she said at one point, cause what she usually does is she waits for me to fall asleep and then she'll fall asleep. But mm. she said I, she couldn't tell whether or not I was asleep and she actually wondered briefly if I had died. <laughs> she wasn't snoring. I wasn't, I wasn't moving and I wasn't snoring. It's like, oh shit, is he dead? <laughs> and I guess that's, it's a step in the right direction. Either way, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah. And there's been a few times where she'll be like, I, this is really driving me crazy. Cause again, I, I kind of will check to make sure your chest is still rising and falling. <laughs> <laughs> Which is finally fair because I, I've done that. I can't tell you how many times I've done that to her. I'll go into the bedroom at night to go get something. And she'll, you know, of course she'll be asleep long before me. And she just, she, she sleeps under the blankets. So there's just this slight little hump under the blankets because she's a small woman. And I, I again, I'll, I'll look and I think, is that, is that rising and falling at all? Is she alive? And this is, <laughs> we have the same anxiety clearly. So there's a reason we're together, but, uh. <laughs> But yeah, it was just ridiculous. Like, okay, no, she's still, okay, she's still breathing. <laughs> the description of the of the L'Esprit as well is quite interesting because I know if, if it's what I think Charlotte's trying to describe, they're not, oddly, they're called dogs, the handles on submarine doors. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's what they're called. Sure. I, I, know, I know I went to school with a submariner. Um, he, still, he still is a submariner, and I'm sure he mentioned before they're called dogs, the little handles on on that because it's not the other one because that's the big wheel is called a, a wheel locking mechanism which isn't, isn't very exciting but what she was describing there i presume she means it's the dog the handle on the hatch interesting well if any listeners out there are familiar with this term let us know ghoststoryguys at gmail.com this is a second story from charlotte and it will be our final story for the night this is vancouver charlotte says this is a more recent shadow person experience. I can't recall the exact year anymore, but it was in 2017 or later, but before March 2020, at my old place of work in Vancouver, BC. First, a bit of background about this office. It was in East Vancouver in a building that is more warehouse than office built in the 1970s or so. I worked on the second level, which was the top floor. There was also a warehouse attached to the building. When I first started here, there was quite a large number of staff upstairs, but in 2013 or so, many of the staff were laid off due to centralization of our call center to Ontario. So where there used to be as many as 50 or more people around at any given moment, there were now only about 10 of us on a daily basis, although occasionally the sales reps would come in every so often for meetings. The majority were men. There were really only about five or six women around on a regular basis. There had been a few weird experiences here, witnessed by myself and my coworkers over the years, but this one day there weren't many of us around. I was walking down the aisle between two sets of workstations, five on each side, towards the women's washroom. At that time, our workstations had dividing walls of approximately four feet from floor to top, and many times while sitting at my desk, I would say hi to anyone walking by, 
and only see their heads as everything else was below my line of sight when sitting at my desk behind the dividers. Sometimes a whole day could go by without me actually seeing them in full because of this. Also, my desk was at the top of the stairs, so anyone coming or going would walk right past me. Even if I didn't see all of them, I would always see their heads as they walked by. This aisle ran east to west, towards a wall that separated the work area from the hallway, which ran north to south with the elevator to my right and the washrooms to my left. As I was walking towards this hallway, I noticed that a woman was walking from my right to left, towards the woman's washroom where I was heading. I thought that this was one of the sales reps, Nat, and I didn't think anything of it. It was a side view, and as she was wearing black, I really only saw a silhouette. She had long black hair and seemed to be wearing a black blouse with long sleeves, along with a black pencil skirt, black tights, and black flat shoes, like ballet slippers. So, I wasn't far behind her and heard the washroom door slam shut, as it does. I turned left into the hallway, but was very surprised when I got closer to the door of the washroom. There was no light under the door, and when I opened it up, the room was dark. There was no one in the washroom. I couldn't really wrap my head around this, so it wasn't until after I was heading back to my desk that it really hit me, that I'd seen what I thought was a woman walking down the hallway to the woman's washroom, that I'd heard the door slam shut, that there were no lights on in the washroom when I got there. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the woman I saw was completely black. There was no discernible skin showing. The face and hands were black and everything about her was black. As I still thought for sure it was Nat, I went to her office. She was at her desk, but wearing completely different clothing from what I thought she was wearing, and her hair was up. I didn't say anything to her, as people had been freaked out by some of the other things that had happened there, and as I've said before, half the time I never actually knew what people were wearing, even though I've often had long conversations with them over my desk divider. So, I mentioned it to one of my coworkers. We tried to figure out who all were in the office that day, and only counted six women in total. All were accounted for, and none were wearing black. I finally came to the conclusion that I'd seen my second shadow person. By this time, I knew more about them. I had come across a categorization of types of shadow people. Unfortunately, I don't remember where, and this one did not fit any of those categories. It was completely solid black, and not tall as so many of them seemed to be but there was no one else in the building that fit the description of what I had seen. Since this experience, and others, we no longer work in this office. It had undergone a transformation for the better. It had been dingy and tired, and the updating has been refreshing. No walls were removed, but the floor layout of workstations and so on had been completely changed. Not long after we returned to the office, we were all sent to work from home due to the pandemic. And since then, a new warehouse has been built, so we've moved completely out of that building into a distant location. Since the pandemic, I've been working from home. I listen to your podcast every week and enjoy it very much. I also listen to Mysteries and Monsters. I have a few paranormal experiences. As I say, they seem extraordinary to me, but then what I hear on your podcast makes them seem pale in comparison. But I hope you enjoy these. I may submit some other stories if I feel they might be of interest to you and your listeners. And Charlotte, please do. Please uh, send your stories. These are great. I got to say, if there's any place that's going to be haunted or be uh, overrun with shadow people for any of the reasons that we think shadow people occupy a place, it's East Vancouver. I, <laughs> it, that is an, a fascinating part of that city. I haven't spent much time there since the pandemic, so I can't speak to it with a great deal of experience, but East Vancouver has a very unusual vibe 
and especially mm. in the industrial spaces, it, it just feels not great. I'll say, mm. I think it's being developed now, but it was very much, you know, a lot of ad- addiction, a lot of homelessness, a lot of empty buildings. And I, you know, years ago I would, I was driving around there with my cousin late at night and it just had this, yeah, again, it's, it's a, it's a good place to get yourself stabbed if you're not careful. And that was before the pandemic, before everyone got all head up and angry. Now I, I can't imagine what it's like. I'm, I'm very intrigued, like Charlotte says, that she seems to have seen two types of, of shadow people which don't fit the normal parameters. But this is the thing, and it, and it happens so often in, in any kind of weird phenomena. People seem to think there, there is a, a template for what it is, and that's it. It can't be anything else. But... It also negates what we were talking about earlier about why the explanations are about it being latent memories, awakening and sleep paralysis, because neither of the, the entities that Charlotte sees match that description. One looks like a Michelin man, one's a, a, a woman. They're both all black, jet black, blacker than black, as, as the, uh, the famous painter on the far show would mentioned when he had one of his meltdowns whilst painting black and then black and um and so that once again kind of dissuades you from trying to explain them all off as as sleep paralysis or, or just people having too much cheese before bed yeah well i think it's interesting too like the the one in montreal especially that was interacting with them and mm. in the case of 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 jay of, of charlotte's partner you know they were fucking with this person and it, it almost seemed like you wonder if they were fucking with this person because they were more easily fuck withable. You know, it seemed like they had they had a stronger reaction to the things. Or the ghost might have been jealous. I mean, possible too. Yeah, entirely possible. But it got me thinking about one of the early stories. You know, this um, when I think it was Dave Dave's stories where he thought he was more susceptible to seeing these things because he was in such a bad place. Hmm. And again, it's a little bit of that idea. You wonder if they're drawn to people and people are drawn to them, you know, you know, sometimes not always, but sometimes when you're in a certain headspace, you attract, you can attract negative things. Like if you go around with a real mad face on, you're probably going to run, you know, you you tend to run into more mad people, Mm -hmm. Uh, which, you know, really makes me self-conscious about the encounters I described to you off air where I've had people try and start fights with me recently because I'm like, I'm in a pretty good mood. I'm trying to, trying to be positive. And guys are like, I'll fucking kick your ass. What What did I do, man? <laughs> you staring at my beer. Yeah, that's, and I wasn't even doing that. <laughs> Bizarre. But no, that's really fascinating stuff, Charlotte. Again, any other stories you want to share, we would love to hear them. I, I'm fascinated by stories from Vancouver, especially the East Side, just because, again, I've spent time there. I've felt various things. Like, like I remember I, my inspiration for doing the taxi episode was uh, I went to see the artist King Dude at a tiny, tiny show in East Van back in 2018. And uh, I, the venue was literally in a converted mechanics bay. It was actually an illegal venue. Uh, they, they would never publish the address in the ads for it. You had to kind of go online and find it. But um, during sets, I would sit outside and I would watch cars come and go from the port and the whole area felt hooky. And I remember thinking you know, and seeing a bunch of cabs come and go, and I thought, oh, I wonder taxis. And uh, frankly, I would love to do an episode on ports. I think there's a lot mm. there. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the stories. Oh yeah, definitely. 
having having spent some of my younger days living close to the south coast for a bit there's, oh, yeah. uh, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for uh, spirits lurking around the docks and port yards of, uh, of certain places for definite so thank you Charlotte and thank you to everyone who shared stories in this episode I love revisiting shadow people uh, again, especially Devin, you know, that your, your insight really kind of helped jog my thinking. Cause sometimes I get kind of hung up in, in thought loops cause there's no news in the, in the paranormal. There's very rarely, is there anything that's kind of new? And that really helped me look at this from a completely different perspective. So I'm going to mm. try and see what else I can brain out using that as my starting point. If you have a story you want to share, send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're always looking to, for listener stories for future episodes. And if you have a question or comment, same thing, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'll read it on our Talk Spooky mini episodes. Again, those come out every other week. So the week after this comes out, Talk Spooky 6 will be out and so on and so forth. Again, thank you so much for sharing with us, folks. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. there listeners before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button i promise you this isn't an ad we wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health on this show i've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help and when you start to feel like there's no help it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not gonna try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to Luke, Sarah, Joseph, Anthony, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere fine podcasts live. Joseph, of course, is the host of The Cardinal Rule. You can find that on YouTube. 
That is a show about Arizona Cardinals football. And of course, thanks to you, my friend and co-host, the inimitable Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? Oh, what's coming up? I head down under in the company of the marvellous Tony Healy as we dive into his brilliant new book with Paul Cropper, The Yowie Files. Tony's shows are always good shows. Oh, I could talk to Tony for forever. It, it's wonderful. He's such a lovely man and uh, very kind and courteous. So um, we're going to do something else very, very soon as well. So uh, he's he, first time he's been on for two years. So uh, the, uh, hopefully it'll be good. But the book's, the book's incredible. Obviously the second Yowie book they've done. Um, full, right up to the present day with encounters and witnesses and covering some of my favourite modern encounters of tough guys bumping in a bloody airy things in the outback. <laughs> so yeah, brilliant. And then back to the UK the week after as I uh, discover the supernatural sites of, uh, of Shropshire. And then uh, yeah, there's a few surprises coming down the line. A couple of old favourites and a couple of new faces. So uh, as I barrel towards 250 episodes. Hell yeah. And where can everyone find you online? They can find Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms and podcast sites, as well as mysteriesandmonsters.com. Fabulous. I'm Largely the Truth on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. And you can find my other show, Weird Together. That's a show about independent horror films with Joseph Camo everywhere. Find podcasts live. Our most recent episode, we talked about the Shudder original Influencer which is a pretty solid little thriller. It's not a supernatural film. It's just a great, kind of like the talented Mr. Ripley a little bit. But uh, very, very good, set in Thailand. And uh, it's just great. You're never entirely sure where it's going. And again, that's Weird Together, which if you want to get into horror movies and you don't want to have to deal with a bunch of gatekeepy bullshit, we're the show for you. <laughs> and again, <laughs> you'll find a link in the show notes and we're on streaming platforms everywhere. As we said at the top of the show, if you want to support us, which we deeply appreciate, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at one, five, ten, and $20 levels. Gets you access to all kinds of cool stuff. You get bonus conversations with me and Paul with every main episode. Those are usually anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour long. So basically you get an entire other episode every two weeks. You get weekly episodes of Host Adventures, which is the show where I just kind of talk about what's going on with me. At the higher tiers, you get access to our monthly live show, where you get both the audio and video versions of that after the fact. So if you're not able to join us live, you can listen or watch to your heart's content. And again, you find out more about that at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or by signing up to GST Premium via Apple Podcasts. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. We have all kinds of cool stuff. We've got t-shirts, travel mugs, stickers. Uh, you can even make, if you want, a one-time donation to the show. If you're not into the whole Patreon thing, but you want to support us, that is always welcome. And you will get a personalized thank you video from me. Might be a little bit late because that's how I do things, but you will get a personalized thank you video. I promise. Oh, and this is just a random thing. I just wanted to shout out uh, Kyle Hopkins, who is a uh, contestant on MasterChef right now. I met Kyle at a hostel in London about 15, 16 years ago. Uh, we hung out for a night and kind of kept in tenuous contact via Facebook. I think I'd just gotten Facebook at that point. And yeah, he's a contestant on MasterChef with, I think, Gordon Ramsay right now. So shout out to Kyle, and uh, although I'm sure it's all been filmed already, best of luck all the same. Shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith, 
Jerry is a film journalist and musician from Central California. You can find Jerry's new project, Street Witch, on streaming platforms everywhere. His debut single is out now. It is called Debut. And the debut EP will be out in about two weeks' time. I haven't uploaded it to DistroKid yet, but I'm going to do that today, and it will be out two weeks hence. And again, you can find the music at streetwitch.bandcamp.com, but the W is two Vs, because Robert Eggers really, really screwed us. Robert Eggers, I love your movies, but man, I don't know who, who picked that font. You really messed things up. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursoff of Pizanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes, and that is streaming courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings, which is the Ghost Story Guy's house label. I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks, but until then, into the darkness we go. was happening in England in the 80s. I mean, I won't mind. It's before the heroin took hold as well, so fuck knows. And became more intense. One second, got a siren here. Slowly. Just pass, goddamn you. Two siren? Oh, for fuck. And whatever, I'm just gonna go. Now the mailman's down all. Paul, it's all going very badly. <laughs> got a siren over here. Got the fucking mailman over here. Marching <laughs> band going past. <laughs> Obviously, none of this will be in the show. <laughs> Good. I'll have to wash my mouth out after that last conversation. <laughs> and I'm going to stick a screwdriver in my eardrums. <laughs> it was like the time at junior school, one of the teachers caught some kids smoking. Good old days. Because we were all mesmerized later on in the day that we found soap bars in the boys' toilets with teeth marks in them where they'd rammed soap bars into the kids' mouths. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you weren't being bummed by the headmaster's terrier, then uh, you were getting bars of soap rammed in your face. And that was at junior school. The game of death at lunchtime. Which which pupil will Murphy the dog try to bum today? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes, I think my school was a bit, made you feel a bit like Rutger Hauer's character in Blade Runner, really. The only difference there is he would be begging Tyrell to kill him. <laughs> I think you are uh, my uncle's house. I'm not at your uncle's house, what are you talking about? And lucky you are. <laughs> why? Okay, one, why did I fucking intuit that? I'm not crazy about that, Paul. I'm not crazy <laughs> about that at all. <laughs> Two, that's gross. Yeah, she kept him in a trombone case. But um, I think the other thing as well is, um, well, the way that, uh, <laughs> the fuck was that? The fucking Jimmy Spinner. He came out like right up in front of my face. <laughs> bugs, you've even got bugs, man. God almighty, it's, it's just right in my face all of a sudden. That was terrifying. <laughs> uh, what the fuck? <laughs> Thunderbird. Jesus Christ, sorry, you were saying. I'm not frozen, I'm just dying inside. <laughs>